Good evening and welcome to Slam Gavel, the show that tells you all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petri. Uh, Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, has passed away three months ago. He is autistic and needs structured routine therapies. He receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to Italian social services. If he is ruled to go back, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak Italian or understand the Italian language. He will be then taken away from the only family he has ever known. Please call Governor Hochul at 518 518- 474-8390. That's 518-474-8390. And please voice your concerns to hashtag keep Bradley safe and here in the United States. I welcome back Joan Cloth Zandert. I had her on season four, episode two back in January. And today, uh, well, we had talked then about Fixing the division to stop the corruption and greed that is being bred in the family courtroom. But today we're going to talk about collusion and the ADA advocates that are now uh, blossoming in the courtrooms that we need. So I welcome you, Joan. How are you? I'm wonderful. Hey, you know, I want to weigh into what you just said about Bradley. Uh, Bradley, you said his name was? Yes. Um, Because he's autistic, because he does not speak Italian... He would fail in Italy. Mm-hmm. He, in fact, his autism will become exasperated. Mm-hmm. Just on those grounds alone, it would be discrimination against the disabled to force this child to have to move to Italy, not even being with a family member, but with a foster family. This is unacceptable. This is abuse of the disabled. Mm-hmm. Um the Italian courts need to be held accountable for that, especially because it would cause irreparable damage to a child who at this tender age is just learning to understand the world in an autistic manner. And that delays his emotional mental development, which means he will, everything will become exasperated Mm -hmm. because doesn't have the ability to transition. Autistic people do not have the ability to transition this easily. It is very difficult because they have to have a stable set routine. This Mm -hmm. child has had six years of a stable set routine in the United States with the appropriate care with a family member to now take this kid and send him to Italy where he speaks no Italian, knows nobody, and his can't even live with his his paternal family because of his father's behavior and violence. They want to just put him in foster care so father can see him. Mm-hmm. No, sorry. This mm-hmm. father apparently is wealthy enough that he can come to the United States and he can do supervised therapeutic, um, therapeutic supervised visitation. Same thing he's doing in Italy, but here the child will be getting the his mental emotional needs met. He will not be traumatized by being moved somewhere where he knows nobody to a family he knows nobody where he can't even understand what they're saying to him. This mm. is not acceptable. No, under the ADA, it is a crime. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I agree. I just can't imagine the stress this family has been through 
I mean, I suspect the child probably either has a has a dual citizenship, but mm -hmm. because this child has lived in the United States for six years, his home of residency is here. The Italian courts or child protective services clearly have an underlying agenda. Mm -hmm. Is it like the United States where our federal Title IV-D um, provides ten dollars to $15,000 a year to our child protective services for every child they place into foster or adoptive care? Mm -hmm. It may well be, and that may be why the Italian government wants this kid, because they know they're going to get more money placing an autistic child in foster care. That is that is abuse of the disabled and lacks child welfare um, protection. In fact, it's child welfare endangerment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to do this with this child. This child's already lost his mother. Mm -hmm. His, he's been abused by his father. The mother was abused by the father. There is solid documented evidence. It is why the father, who's in Italy, is not even allowed to have custody of the kid. So mm -hmm. why would you put him where he has no protection, where he doesn't know anybody, where he can't speak the language? The only reason, there's a monetary advantage. Either father paid, gave money to the Child Protective Services or mm -hmm. Child Protective Services is getting funding from the federal government. Otherwise, there is. Why would you do this? If you are a compassionate, empathetic person, you would never pull a child who's just lost their mother from the only family he knows. Unless, of course, you're narcissistic, bipolar, borderline, and just antisocial person altogether. Mm -hmm. How sad. How sad, sad our prayers are. With this, this child, but you have to remember, this father doesn't even care. No, this father in open court admitted he beat the mother, and that he would admitted he would do it again. Mm -hmm. Why would you put a traumatized child back in that situation where they know nobody? I mean, right. that's just, that's just abuse of the disabled, discrimination. They think they can get away with it, and because the father is clearly narcissistic, only a narcissist that's that. That narcissistic would think it's okay to beat somebody up mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and announce it to the world that they did it because they think it's okay. Yeah, right. And why would you even announce that in court? I mean, right. uh, I'm amazed his attorney didn't shut him down and strike and tell him to strike it from the record. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, sometimes you get these uh, certain. Um, yeah, you know I. Better not say what I want to say. <laughs> Clearly, the courts found him guilty. But then why is Child Protective Services even involved? If Child Protective Services is really about protecting this autistic child, they would have never let this, they would have never asked for this child to be returned to a country he doesn't even know anybody. And they would have said, no, he needs to stay where he is with the mother, with her aunt. Mm -hmm. If the father wants to see the child... Let him take the trip to the United States. Let him pay for the therapeutic supervised visitation. He's already been convicted. Why would you, I just, the only reason, like I said, is a monetary one. Somebody is paying somebody off. It's the only way, or we have a problem in Italy with their, their, their child protective services and foster care services clearly mm -hmm. are not properly trained. Especially, it sounds like with autistic and handicapped, they have no comprehension mm -hmm. of the mental 
differences and issues involved with an autistic or Asperger's child, mm -hmm. change is often very, very difficult for them because they, they're very hyper-focused on things. Right. Oh, yeah, most definitely. He's had routine for for so six days a week. Is he going to get that care over there? I don't think so. And even if he was going to get that care over there, the problem is it's in it's not it's all Italian. It's people he doesn't know. He's got six years with people he knows who he really is comfortable with, who he's made great strides. Mm -hmm. And this is important mm -hmm. for Italy's foster care system. To do this to this child, I would say there's a nice big lawsuit that could be filed against them for child welfare endangerment mm -hmm. and, and that of an of a um, handicapped child mm -hmm. and discrimination against that child and his family or her, right, his family. It's sad. Unfortunately, we just don't have enough people trained in the ADA. As you and I were previously discussing before we started today, um, we come across this all the time mm -hmm. with people who mm -hmm. just, you know, because somebody's got is blind, you know, mm -hmm. people don't know how to respond to that. So they, they're, they're yelling at them. No, I'm not deaf. I'm blind. Right. Right. Or you have the people who are deaf and the person's yelling, screaming on the top of their voice and the person's looking at them going, honey, I'm deaf. I can't hear you. Yeah. But I can tell you're yelling by your facial expressions. So, you know, we, I think this is something that really needs to be also in the schools. They, I don't know if they still do this, but I know when my daughter went, there was a little bit more of a collaboration with the kids that didn't have these learning disabilities or physical disabilities and those that did so that we could have teach our kids compassion and empathy because we are losing this emotional, mental, and, and you know, development and peace in our lives hence why we see so many narcissists mm -hmm. they and the problem is we're great they're growing exponentially because we're not treating this disease mm -hmm. or this mental illness it's also i also think uh just going through the family court system create creates a personality disorders uh i i saw that written somewhere um not but, that it creates a personality disorder. It creates a situational condition that is temporary. When the trigger is removed, for example, all the court battles, the hostile aggressive parenting styles, when those are removed, the situation dies down because the triggers aren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. It's almost the same as having somebody who was physically and sexually abused by their spouse. And then that spouse gets, and for years they're living with this trauma. They've got severe PTSD, stress and anxiety. And then that, that abuser dies. Well, that mm -hmm. trigger is gone. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like they don't have to look over their shoulder anymore. Right. That's why it's called situational condition. It's not permanent. Mm. When the trigger is removed, the condition subsides or goes away altogether. Oh, that that's interesting. Yes, you know. Um, and the thing is, we need more ADA advocates. There are programs that... out there. You can get free training. Mm -hmm. Just so people understand, there is no licensure or certificate or, or. Let me rephrase that. 
The government, whether federal or state, does not demand na licensure or certification to be an ADA advocate. In fact, my cat could be an ADA advocate. <laughs> uh, my dog. Um, but there are training programs that I would strongly recommend all people do and then get extra training if you're working in the courts on Title II of the ADA, because that is the biggest area we're, we're lax in. So Title I is employment. Title II, state and, and federal. Title Three is private public businesses. Title IV is... Um, Aircraft, Title Five, uh, aircraft. There's Title Five, Six, and Seven, which are aircraft, travel, and one was miscellaneous. Um, and they all they they all hin are hinged on or developed from the original ADA laws of the 1960s. I believe 67 or 68. Um, and of course they've grown now. We have, instead of being the ADA or Americans, American Disability Act, it is now the ADAAA, American Disability Act Amended Act of 2016 and 2018. Now, one of the places they can get training, I would strongly suggest try doing online training first, mm -hmm. is ADATA, A-D-A-T-A dot org. You can go under resources then to online or, or education and look for online and try and take, I, I don't know if the program's still out there the way I did it, but there were like seven or eight courses I took and they have a test after each one, but I said, and that one's free because it, they want more and more people to be educated in the ADA mm -hmm. so, and, and join and get their newsletter mm -hmm. because their newsletter will also teach you things and tell you what's going on in other states. Um, one of the biggest issues here in Connecticut is we don't, I'm the only, the only probably certified license or ADA advocate. Okay. There are other people who do advocacy, but they don't really have any actual training. They just know the laws from reading it. They didn't do any trainings. Um, but if you call to get ADA assistance, the ACLU won't help you. The ADA, the disability rights doesn't help. Nobody helps you with ADA in this state. The only ADA attorneys we have are for title one employment and, and title three, uh, education, not title three, title three education, which also comes under title two, because it's also state and federal, but it's only for employment and education. There's no ADA attorneys for anything else. Very difficult. Yes. I know I even have parents calling me asking if I know any civil suit attorneys. It's like, I don't know. I don't know anyone down here and I couldn't get anyone to take my case. So, you know, I don't know. It's what to very, very hard. Yes. Because all they want is money. Most of us don't have that kind of money. And because we don't have the money, they're get, these people are. And that's why our world is such a mess. Because these people are getting away with it because we have no way to hold them accountable mm -hmm. so that this type of behavior stops. Right. Which means we need to have stronger legislation to enable us to have better ADA accommodations or not necessarily accommodations, but better ADA resources and support. There needs to be better funding because as we get older, we're more likely to quantify under the ADA. Because mm -hmm. of physical issues. 
Oh, definitely. Because and you, in, go ahead. That is stresses of modern society. And especially if you're dealing with the family courts and you have mental health conditions that are exasperated, that quantify as ADA. Even when the opposing attorney calls you mentally unstable, boom, there it's it's all, now now you're suddenly mentally unstable where you never were. Okay, so here's the quantifier. The definition <laughs> to get ADA accommodations in the courts are one, you get SSI or SSDI. Or and or you were disabled but are not disabled now. So, for example, you had cancer and now you're in remission. You might you still quantify or three. You have the appearance of being disabled. You don't have to have all three. You could only have one of them. So when somebody claims you're mentally unstable, they have just opened the door for ADA accommodations, whether those accommodations are whether you're mentally ill or not. The fact that they've stated that you are mentally ill means that they're assuming you to be disabled, mm -hmm. even if you are not mentally ill. So now you can't take my kids away from me because I'm entitled to equal and the same access to all the same resources and support and information that somebody who isn't mentally ill and is a regular parent would be getting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, we were talking earlier and you could sue, say an attorney calls you mentally unstable or makes fun of your disability. Yeah, that... you could go after them. Um, absolutely. Uh, would you win on it? You would have to have it recorded or witnesses um, or in writing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you might find it better to go for a grievance against them. Mm -hmm. First, to prove that there's a viable case. Not that a grievance means anything, because most of these grievance panels, for especially when it comes to attorneys, are a joke. It's a protection of the attorney. Mm -hmm. The it, Unlike in the mental health or medical field, where they say to you, um, you are going to trial on this and you're going to lose your license. You, in on, As an attorney, they give you the two options. Retire early or go to trial and risk losing your license. No other profession gives you a way out. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, that's not okay. That has to stop with the grievances. No, they cannot just decide that they're going to retire early so they can get out of trouble. They've done the harm. They've done the damages. They shouldn't be rewarded for it by being allowed to retire early so that they can keep their license and go out there and now still work doing interviews, lectures, whatever. No. Ugh. I'm sorry. That's one legislation that needs to be fixed. Yes, I agree with that. You know, um, a lot of people never knew this existed. I, you know, I'd gone through the whole uh, family court fiasco and I wish I would have known this existed. I, I never. Knew. We didn't know it back then either, mm -hmm. and not that it would have made that much difference to my husband's case, because the judge, Judge Miller, who's not with us anymore, um, said oh, to my husband's yeah. ex, "Lady, I'm not a psychiatrist and I'm not a psychologist, but you need one." Uh -huh. Well, she got caught lying to the judge. She, um. First, she refused to use our dental insurance that we had. Mm 
And she called the junk dental insurance. And the judge looked at her and said, it would have taken 33% off the bill. I'm not making your husband pay for these dental charges. You refuse to use the... So we won on that. But of course, she goes back and tells the kids that dad doesn't have to pay, got out of it. And then she tried to submit a day camp bill for $3,600 to the YMCA. And we knew that she didn't pay that. One, because she was on Medicaid. So we knew she got financial aid and we knew that she probably only paid $300 per child, two children, $600. So the bill was for $3,600. What do you think she did? She put a three in front of the six to, and handed us the bill. So my husband's attorney and us called the YMCA who said, oh, no, no, she got financial aid. It was only $600. Oh. So we got the actual bill. This is why the court called her, said this to her. We're, we've got her up on the witness stand. And my attorney says, Aunt shows her the bill she submitted to us. And he says, are you sure this is the bill? She goes, yes, absolutely. He goes, would it surprise you to know that here I'm holding the exact bill from the YMCA? It's only six hundred dollars. So she got caught lying in court. And that's why the judge was so furious with her. But he didn't do anything to her. There was no accountability. for. Well, because back in that back then they were afraid if they financially they didn't believe in any other punishment for her than financial. And they felt that they financially penalized her, that it was going to harm the children. They didn't understand the psychological damages yet. It was too long ago. We're talking late 1990s, 98, 99. So they didn't understand anything about this yet. You know, it's just very pretty much almost just hitting the internet waves. Um, so what the judge did is he said, we weren't responsible for any of those bills. That's how she financially damaged her and said, no, your husband will not pay for the debt. He's not going to pay for the dental because you he would have had 33% off if you had done this right. And he's not paying for the camp bill because you lied. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you got financial aid. So she was pissed that we didn't pay. But the judge, that was the only way he could penalize her. It's, uh, well, then we have things turned in the reverse where we have parents forced to pay everything while the other parent sits back collecting alimony, child support, and income from a job. No. Mm -hmm. What? Uh -uh. No, yeah. no, no. But this is where the collusion comes in mm -hmm. because, first of all, nobody working in the family court should be there unless they have at minimum of a BS in psychology and child psychology for that matter. Mm -hmm. You do not belong on that bench if you don't have that. You don't belong in a, as an attorney in the family courts or guardian ad litem because you cannot possibly have the children's best interests and their welfare if you don't understand the psychological traumas. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Mm -hmm. You know, number two, um, the, the like we said earlier, Thou who has the money wins. So it's it's not about the children. It's about who's got the money to pay off the guardian ad litem, the therapist, the judge, who's making what donation to whose favorite charity. Mm -hmm. you know, we have we have a lot of proof here of payments being made to people's properties. Somebody takes out a second mortgage on their house. And then what they do is they have the person pay off the second mortgage. And that's how they get paid. 
Because then that money they got up for the second mortgage is the same as the payment they would have gotten, only it got washed. Interesting. So we've got a, quite a few people mm -hmm. that researched this, and we found quite a few attorneys here in Connecticut who have done this. Mm -hmm. it's, it's sick. You also mm -hmm. have price fixing. And this is part of the collusion. So we have attorney here, Debbie Grover. Nobody's going to tell you this. And of course, the grievance panel let her get away with it. So it's not public. But the person who filed it against the people that filed it against her knew. What price fixing is, is when the attorneys get together and the professionals and they decide how much money they want to make on the case before they let it settle. She got caught along with probably several other attorneys. And they said to her, you can either face the music in court or retire early. What do you think she did? Retired early. You got it. Yeah. So her practice still exists. Her children work under her and she doesn't go into court anymore. Hmm. She just works without being in the courts. She's still an attorney, but retired and teaching, if you will. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, no. It's not okay. And she's teaching people to be attorneys. And wow. how, and she's teaching them. She is, what do we want? This is, this is sad because she's teaching them inappropriate values and morals. And this is why we have a problem with our family courts because it's just breeding it. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely is. I, you know, I've seen it with and my I, Yep. I really believe that if you got took the family attorneys out of the family courts, anything that was financial can go into regular civil court. Discuss all your financials in the civil court. Family court is abolished. Other than for a few minor things, everything must go through family relations, mediation with professionals who are trained in child psychology and mediation. Yes, I understand it is absolutely impossible to mediate with a narcissist, but guess what? It can be done and it might, and it's a lot better to do that or at least be able to explain, show the judge, look, we tried to mediate and the mediator says, mom has offered up a thousand and one options. Dad refuses to, to even offer up one. That says boodles and oodles to a judge. Who's the parent that's going to be willing to work things out? Which parent is going to make all the unilateral decisions? You don't need to know what was discussed, just that who was willing to discuss and who wasn't. Oh, you know, okay, so co-parenting with a personality disorder of what of whatever. You know, when your attorney says, oh, yeah, the co-parent counselor told me your ex was volatile. So you would think she would take that and present that to the judge. But that doesn't happen in family court. Well, technically, it could. The problem is mediation says what goes on in mediation cannot be brought up in court unless it's you've come to a solution and that's what you're bringing to the court. Mm -hmm. this is a problem yes i agree what's going on in mediation probably shouldn't be brought in but the behavior patterns mm -hmm. are what is important because that's going to tell you which parent is willing to co-parent and share parenting 
and and go back and forth and and work on things and which parent is going to be the controller uni unilaterally making every decision and cutting the other parent out mm -hmm. and that's important mm -hmm. because that is why they all should have psychology as one of, as a bs at minimum mm -hmm. so they can recognize this they're not trained to recognize this pattern or this issue and how harmful it is and how that that makes it difficult even where there's abuse look i've got parents who clearly were abused by the other parent but they understand that that parent does have some positive other things like they might be really good in math or they might be a really good carpenter or they might be a really good writer and so those pieces are important for the child to be able to get from that parent mm -hmm. So, yes, if the person is so volatile, then you do therapeutic supervised visitation. But the parent still has the ability to maybe do the English homework with the kid or the math homework with the kid. The kid learns respect for that parent for that skill. Mm -hmm. There, There's still some positive that this kid can feel about themselves having to do with the other parent. Mm -hmm. So, you know. If it's and look, having therapeutic supervised means the therapist is there. They're watching what's going on. If there's a problem, they can stop it immediately. <laughs> they're also there to help that parent learn how to properly communicate with the child and to change their communication styles. Uh, I have a theory about how to treat narcissism and bipolar men. These people do not do not do well with change and big changes they need very small minute changes because they has to be so small that it's easy for them to implement it to a point where they don't even realize they're implementing at one point all of a sudden they're here with this change and now the parent looks back and goes wow you know a year two years a year ago i wouldn't have not responded this way I would have responded like this. And now they're seeing this change. They've learned a new skill. They apply it to other skills. They're getting an epiphany. They're learning a little more compassion and empathy. There is, I believe, a way to help narcissists and, and whatnot and antisocial personalities to gradually gain the stages and skills that they missed in their development as a child. I always tell parents that when they're when they're dealing with a child who's been abused, they've often missed stages of development. Mm -hmm. So you need to go back and make sure that you hit every one of those stages of development because those missed stages affect that child in as an adult because they haven't got that skill. For example, somebody who completely misses age two and sharing, and age three, where it bleeds into age three, they can't share. They will be predispositioned to be narcissistic and have and needing total control because they don't, they miss the stage of sharing. They don't understand that wonderful feeling when you share and you give because that stage, for whatever reason, was missed. Mm -hmm. And that is very important for us to go back on and to we and to make sure that we we process this even as an adult you can go back you can have your therapist slowly back bring you back through all the stages of development as a child to make sure that you hit every one of them 
and where you're having a problem, the therapist says, okay, we need, this is an area we do need to stop in. Maybe, maybe we need to work on sharing a little more and the feeling that comes from sharing and giving back. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. There's um, a total seems to be a disconnect from what I'm seeing now from when I was growing up when there was, you know, right. the, the please, thank you, you know, more oh, yeah. kindness. Well, now now right. it's just brutal out there. Yeah, and we're not talking about opening doors, okay? That anybody can do. Right. I open the door for men, men open the door for me. I'm not talking about opening doors. We're talking just general niceties. Right. General compassion, general empathy, being able to literally take off your shoe, mm -hmm. put on their shoe, and go, oh, now I understand. Okay, so if I'm understanding now, let me take my their shoes off, put my shoes back on. How can I incorporate the two and, and so that we can fix this problem they're dealing with? Right. Yeah, it's the, as there's like no compassion and you know, and this is why you do need, or some people do need an ADA advocate in the courtroom, because there's no compassion that opposing attorney is out for to get whatever for. In fact, you can motion the courts to allow your ADA advocate to, um, one second, my computer, I don't want it to restart, um, to, um, brain fart Oy. <laughs> oh you can actually um have write up a motion asking that your ada advocate be allowed to speak for you to present and help you present your case i had to do that with one of my cases and my attorney never even talked i had my ada advocate well my attorney's a piece of piece of shit Anyways, I had my ADA advocate had talked and spoke up about the atrocities from my attorney. Because mm -hmm. my attorney is so bad. Oh my God. That's a shame. He violated my ADA rights, my constitutional rights. Forget it. The, the damages from him are just astronomical. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I will be suing him. I already filed a grievance, about, a big right. grievance against him. But we all know where that's going to lead. He'll probably get off or be told retire early because there's so many things. He tried to force me under duress to take a plea. Okay. Oh, no. And um, in front of my ADA and my husband, he lied claiming that um, there were some people hit in a car accident that these people wanted me incarcerated to the fullest. We get into the courtroom and the judge says, that the people that were injured don't want me incarcerated. That's because I think the people that were injured knew that the accident was their fault. Mm -hmm. um, oh. And so right there, this is so illegal to try and force me under duress to take a plea for a crime I didn't commit. That's scary. Uh, you know, some people have no idea this goes on in these courts. Yeah, no. Oh, I mean, even the judge has violated my ADA rights. Mm -hmm. He he has been told over and over on the record that my attorney is ineffective. Mm -hmm. The relationship is irrevocably broken, that mm -hmm. he has lost evidence, mm -hmm. that he has failed to do his job. 
um, that he's repeatedly overcharged me. There's four affidavits, two for my ADA advocate and two for me about my attorney's bad behavior. Mm -hmm. And the judge puts in the notes that I'm not allowed. He will not judge would not approve my me to self-represent. I fired my attorney three times. He tried to withdraw. Judge refused it, said that my attorney cannot be removed unless I find another attorney to replace him. So this is a violation of my constitutional rights to self-represent, mm -hmm. a violation of my ADA rights, because he's assuming because I have ADA accommodations that therefore I can't possibly represent myself. No psych eval, no evaluations, never talked to my therapist, doesn't know and has been told by new... This is a violation of my ADA rights, my constitutional rights. So this is huge. Mm -hmm. But finding an attorney who will submit a motion for dismissal is next to godliness because nobody because everybody looks at the case and that case is in such deplorable shape for my attorney that they don't and my attorney every time we find somebody will take the case they call my attorney and my attorney badmouths me and we know this because one of the attorneys reported it back to us he's deliberately blocking me from getting an attorney that's also illegal hmm. that's defamation and slander mm -hmm. But it happens all the bloody time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's not okay. They trampled over my ADA rights. He he refused. I had to actually pay close to $4,000 to train him in the ADA, and he still didn't get it. I, I'm pretty sure he was paid off anyways. The minute he was put on for his appearance, he put his appearance in, all of a sudden he changed. His whole attitude changed. Everything. Mm. This case could have been thrown out in 2020 because I had massive amounts of medical evidence to show ADA violations in this case. And he admits to me that he gets all my medical information in June of 2020. Since then, nine times he's asked me to send him my medical info and he keeps charging me for this. You admitted you got it. Yeah. When we asked him for a copy of my file, there was nothing in there but four pleadings. That was it. Nothing in my file. Where's my file? Yeah. Where's all the evidence I sent you? Where's all your communications with everybody? Where's my file? Right. So this is, but because I know my rights and I understand the ADA and I understand a little bit more from having done this work, I'm, I can see where there's a problem. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had enough medical evidence to refute every single charge and then some. He refused to present it to the DA. Because then the DA would have known he had no case and that he was wasting the taxpayers money. Uh. This is just a witch hunt. And we know it. OK, and that's one of the other problems. These people go after you. They know they think they can take you down because you're disabled or because you are have PTSD, stress and anxiety from the triggers. And they can, because a lot of parents and people just don't have the emotional strength to keep fighting anymore. And they just say, fuck it, I give up. That's why we see so many suicides. Mm -hmm. They're done fighting. They don't, they have no life left because of these people. So these people have such lack of empathy and compassion that they're causing suicides in others. Mm -hmm. No, that's not okay. 
and it just doesn't, it just has not ended. This is the thing is, you know, I don't know when family court is going to be abolished, but, you know, I it's think. Not, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, you go ahead. No, no, no. Your talk, your time. <laughs> well, it's like, but at least there is an alternative with an ADA advocate that can step in and help. And exactly. maybe light a fire under the attorney's ass. I also, mean. it um puts oversight and levels the playing field because mm -hmm. the Constitution says that we will not discriminate against anybody for race, color, creed, kind, or handicap. Mm -hmm. So they attempt to claim that you're not a fit parent. Well, then prove that I'm not a fit parent. Prove we have hundreds of thousands of parents who have bipolar, manic depressive, PTSD that aren't losing their children that are in intact families. So if it's okay to be bipolar, manic depressive in an intact family, why isn't it okay in a not in a divorcing family? Right. Get the get the proper resources and support in the intact families getting the proper resources and support. Why not the divorced family? If it's not okay, if it's not okay, if it's okay in an intact family, why is it not okay in a divorced? And let's be real. When you're dealing with an alienator or aggressive alienating parent, um, they are mentally ill. They have a mental health condition that hasn't been treated. As we know, they are afraid of not being perfect. So they can't go to therapy. So you can't take them to therapy. What you do is you have to have specialized therapeutic training classes or some kind of course that helps them very slowly start to make those changes so they start to gain some empathy and compassion and so that their mindset begins to change and they will be end up being a much happier person in life too mm -hmm. it's a yeah. big thing yeah you know and then you know as an ADA advocate from what you've seen, you know, some people call, as we talked before, parental alienation, junk science. What do you do when the other side is calling the person that you're helping an, an alienator when they're not? It's really the I, other side. Right. It's really the other side. And that is why it is so imperative to get proper training. Because anybody can can accuse anybody of anything. So this crap about how there's all these false allegations of alienation, there are very few false allegations of alienation. Most of those most people who are accusing it have gone and gotten an expert to or to you know weigh in on it. Just like somebody can claim temporary insanity for a murder. An alienator can claim that they're the ones being alienated mm -hmm. just to point, just to point the finger in the other direction and away from them. Well, in that case, then let's get the experts in who have been doing appropriate training and studies and research to see whether there really is alienation going on against that parent or not. Mm -hmm. Or is it something so mild? It's just the two parents disagreeing on something. And they just need to figure out how to mediate better. Mm -hmm. And here's the other one. You know, the parents who claim, oh, the other parent's abusive, abusive, but they can't prove it. Okay. It keeps getting thrown out. 
Okay. Stop harping on that because it makes you look really bad. The more you file allegations of abuse, the more you look like the problem. Instead, <laughs> recognize that mm -hmm. now your job is to teach your children critical thinking skills to ensure their executive functioning skills are in place. And now, the, look, the kids are going to have two role models. They're with both parents 50-50. You have a 50% chance and ability to teach your children compassion, empathy, what abuse looks like, what it doesn't look like, you know, and to, uh, to assist them with critical thinking skills. You have a 50% chance. Let your children, your children, if they have the right executive functioning skills, will be able to look at the two and figure out what part of the if the parent is truly abusive what part of that abusive parent is important to them maybe the importance is knowing that they are their father or their mother or knowing that that parent is the one who helps them with their math homework or whatever okay but if you keep filing false allegations and you keep getting rejected on them you're going to have to turn your turn this around by being the parent who's providing 50% of the positive role model values and morals. Mm -hmm. Your children will hopefully have the executive functioning and critical thinking skills to be able to recognize which side's really a, a better way to live their life. Mm -hmm. And that's the best you're going to be able to offer them until some, unless there's actual physical hard evidence. Because otherwise, all you're doing is giving the other person more power and control every time you report them and they win and it doesn't happen. You're giving them more power and control. They're saying, look, here's another time you reported me. Mm -hmm. And then for those cases where the person is falsely reporting abuse and neglect, now if they're constantly falsely approved, submitting this it's actually in it in um intentional infliction of emotional stress negligent infliction of emotional stress defamation slander perjury filing of false allegations malicious prosecution vexatious litigation um and 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 custodial interference etc and this is where you need something called a strobel order put into place mm -hmm. which is what they call it in connecticut and some of the other states basically it's an order that says that neither party or one party is no longer allowed to file any more motions or complaints without express permission from the courts because they filed too many. Mm. And you don't want to be in that position where you filed so many that now you're being charged. Because every time a, a report goes in and it comes back denied or unable to substantiate, it's another notch to proving that maybe your allegations are not true and they're false. Because you haven't provided. And then there are the cases where they provided solid, hard evidence of abuse and neglect. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Brad, what's it, Bradley? Yes. Bradley's case. And, you, and it's the money driving the case. Mm -hmm. The father is mega wealthy and he probably made a donation to that judge in Italy and to the foster system. And I suspect that he chose the foster parents too, knowing that those foster parents will let him have the kids, the kid, whenever he wants them. And there'll be no supervision. So, you know, this is why it is so imperative to have appropriate training at all, at every professional level when it comes to the family courts.
We cannot be shy of this. It needs to be full blown. In fact, legislative, we're looking at educational legislation to ensure that this is done. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, for all these people who oppose and claim parental alienation isn't real, their biggest problem is they have no statistical data to back it. What they have is statistical data that's not statistical data. It can't even be replicated. Joan Myers and Gene Mercer can't even replicate their information and their research. Whereas we have over 35 years of solid, standalone research and studies that parental alienation is real. And the courts know, the legislators know parental alienation is real. It doesn't matter what you call it. They know psychological abuse is real and it is happening. And they're associating it with Richard Gardner. Well, this thing wrong with associating it with Richard Gardner. Richard Gardner, all he did was coin a term. Parental alienation has been going around on for a hundred years. Albert Einstein was alienated. If they, if people want, they can go out to Larry DeMarco's, Lawrence DeMarco's web uh, YouTube page, The Law Center. There is a ton of stuff out there, but one of them is something about parental alienation has been going on for centuries or something like that. And it lists cases, both mothers and fathers, where they were alienated way back a hundred years ago. So this is nothing, Gardner isn't, this isn't anything new. Gardner, all he did was put a name to it. Mm-hmm. The people that, there's a group of women who opposed it. Um, because he testified against these women that they were actually alienating. Now, apparently, okay, I had a big run-in with them about 25 years ago with this group. My original email is Angel, P-U-T-Z-A-N-G-E-L. Well, I came up with it because my husband calls me a putz because I piddle around all the time. Mm-hmm. And Angel come from my daughter's middle name, Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, putz in Hebrew means the foreskin of the penis. So these, I have a lot of words for them. These women started attacking me, calling me a penis lover. So I wrote back, well, I would sure hope so since I'm heterosexual. Yeah. This is how insane and nonsensical their their approach and their theory is. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, you know, we're not saying that people haven't used it falsely, no less than, in fact, there were maybe 0.001 of false allegations of alienation compared to 90% of abuse allegations being false. And here's the problem for these women who claim that all the, all the abuse allegations are true. If that's the case. We got a serious problem in this world because that means there's way more abuse cases than we ever thought. Mm-hmm. And we better hope that 90% of those char- cases that are brought to child protective services are false. Because otherwise, we have a serious societal problem with violence and anger and rage. Mm-hmm. How would an ADA advocate handle we, we if if the opposing side shoots out parental alienation you know, and it catches that person off guard because they're like what me you know well they need to show they have okay so this is what's very important to have a chronology mm-hmm. because once you have a chronology of events three 
the separation, you know, the relationship, you had a loving, healthy relationship to this destroyed relationship. And now you're claiming you're, that you're the alienator. You know, you, you really have to have a chronology. You really need to show, they have to be able to show how you've alienated. Did you keep the kids from the other parent? Well, you kept the kids because you decided the other parent was abusive. Well, you could only do that under the permission of child protective services or the courts you can't decide to withhold them just because you want to withhold them i'm sorry it just doesn't work that way because there's too many false allegations if we didn't have so many false allegations this wouldn't be an issue because there's so many false allegations of abuse it become it's gummed up the works it's become taken away time money and resources from true victims and it's selfish of a parent to file false allegations of abuse. That's selfish. Mm -hmm. So as an AD advocate, I'm going to go in and I have to first know both sides. So how is it this person is alienating? What did they do that you believe is an alienating tactic? You know, as and then I and is they're going to say, well, because he's, um, you know, he's so angry or or the other person, whatever, you know, if there's PTSD, stress and anxiety built into this, I need to know, do have you been diagnosed with PTSD, stress, anxiety, bipolar, any of these diagnoses? Are you do you have visual problems, hearing problems? Do you have degenerated joint disease? What, what is it that, you know, we're working with here? Do we are they claiming that you're an alienator because you're mentally ill? Well, show me where there's a medical report and if there isn't are you willing to do an evaluation and the evaluator has to be very educated in parental alienation or they completely miss it mm -hmm. they miss the signs and symptoms because it gets mistaken for bipolar and monic depressive instead of being a situational condition mm -hmm. It's the same thing with ADD, ADHD, and kids. Oftentimes, kids are misdiagnosed with it. It's really PTSD, stress, and anxiety. But because they, they don't have the ability, the words to express their emotions, they suck it inside. And so it comes out in physical behavior patterns. Mm -hmm. And they get misdiagnosed as ADD, ADHD. Some of them have ADD, ADHD on a very mild level, but because of the PTSD, stress, and anxiety, it becomes exasperated. Mm -hmm. And if you can get that, if you can get the triggers out, their ADA becomes more manageable. Many parents were have ADD, ADHD, and were never properly diagnosed with it when they were in school and in kids. And they got the diagnosis much later in life. Doesn't mean they're not a good parent. And I would suspect that many of them that do have that may also have PTSD, stress, and anxiety behind the ADD, ADHD. But because your ADD, ADHD mental health professionals are not trained in PT in um, parental alienation, they don't recognize the extenuating other pieces that may be exasperating the condition. And that is really important. We don't, these people are not properly trained in the ADA. They're not properly trained in parental alienation. They shouldn't be working in the family courts. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure there are people, um, you know, these guardian ad litems that like to moonlight as psychologists. Um, <laughs> I'm being retaliated against because um, a uh, client and I went after an attorney guardian ad litem and she made a medical diagnosis of my client without a medical degree. 
and we nailed her on the witness stand for it. Between that and various other clients who, who reported her to the grievance panel for her behavior, mm -hmm. she is another one of those that was given the retire early or be charged criminally and lose your license. And now she is on the police commission of a local town. <sighs> right. She does not belong holding any political office. She is a sociopath. Mm -hmm. Anybody, her MO is if you, if there's a couple and they're fighting over custody, then only one parent should have custody. They, she doesn't believe in shared parenting. And so what she does is she goes headstrong after the other parent. She makes sure they lose their job, their businesses, their assets, their home, their children. And if that doesn't work, then she starts trying to find criminal charges to file against them so that they can't have their, they legally are criminalized away from their children. I can't tell you how many parents have had to fight those charges. I got one who cost him a quarter of a million dollars. He beat the rap, um, proved his innocence. Went into family court. This same guardian ad litem who was on the criminal case convinces the family guardian ad litem to drop off so she can go on the family course case. This is a conflict of interest. It's illegal. He still won sole custody of his kid. Before he could get the kid, this guardian ad litem assisted the mother in kidnapping the kid to Costa Rica. And he still hasn't seen his kid because the cost there, she filed a pedophile charge against him that he had already been um, found oh. innocent of in the U.S. Costa Rica will not accept the U.S. Term, uh, just laws and, and um, case. What about the Hague? Why didn't the Hague do they something? Don't, they, they're refusing to comply with it. Oh. Many countries do not comply with the Hague. It's a big problem. Even though they're Hague, they don't comply. Italy is probably part of the Hague and mm -hmm. doesn't comply. Mm -hmm. The fact that Italy would take this poor autistic child and pull him from everything he has known for his entire seven years of life and put him in a foreign country where he can't speak the language, where he has he has, he's being put in with a foster family, that's just insanity. Mm -hmm. The kid's a U.S. citizen. His U.S. citizenship has a higher standing than Italy's because he's lived here longer. His mental and educational well-being should override him being put into foster care in Italy. Mm-hmm. And that is where the attorney needs to be fighting for his this child's ADA rights to be with his family here in the United States, where he has a stable environment, where he has been, he understands the language, where he's got a team that has been working with him. Not put into foster care when he's got a family he can be with here. He can't be with his father because of the abuse. But he's got a family here where there's no abuse. He's getting what he needs. This poor kid. Yeah. I... He's traumatized from it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is like that kid that came through Florida from Cuba. Oh, yeah. I remember uh, that. Alan, Al 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 what was it? Alan? Elon? Elon. Yeah. The trauma for that child. Mm -hmm. He will, I mean, he will, I, my hope is that someday this kid is old enough 
to write about what it, this ordeal was like for him so that others can understand, so our government can understand. No, do I think that we should let every Tom, Dick, and Harry from every single country into our country? Probably not because we got a hard enough time with jobs here as it is. I got that. But we also have to be a little more conscious of why are people coming to this country? You know, they're coming to this country because they can't survive in their own country. Is it political? What is, we? there's got to be more. And if it's because they can't survive financially there, well, how can we help that family, those families there? Mm -hmm. What can we do so that they don't need to come to the United States? and that they can survive there and they create and we create a workforce that maybe from there you know don't get me wrong it annoys the hell of me out of me when i get on the phone with amazon or whoever and i don't get somebody in the united states i get somebody in ethiopia or wherever okay that annoys the hell out of me because i can barely understand mm -hmm. this is probably why i like apple products <laughs> when you call up on an apple product you're not switched to japan Right. Pan has their own technical support. U.S. has their own technical support. We might use Canada. Uh, we might. It might be somebody from Canada, but they, they speak solid and English. Mm -hmm. We're keeping the jobs in the United States. Mm -hmm. Tech support for, let's say, Mexico should be in Mexico. There's where you're going to build your jobs. Get your people trained in Mexico to do computer apple computer to do whatever you know yeah let's i don't know i mean that but maybe that's too simplified for our government i think it is <laughs> simple <It's> stupid oh <laughs> it's now as an ada advocate have you ever had a judge say no you can't come in here like refuse you entrance to even uh, in, in the courtroom or help your client? I have never been refused, but I've heard of clients having their ADA accommodations refused. Here's the deal. A judge cannot make a decision on ADA accommodations. One, if it's their case, it's a conflict of interest because now they know what the person's disabled with. Mm -hmm. They're not allowed to know that. That's supposed to be hidden. Two, the only way they can do it is that they're certified as an ADA coordinator. And they're deciding on it for another judge. Otherwise, they really should not be doing it because it's a conflict of interest. Because if you're going to tell a client that they can't have ADA accommodations on their family court case that you're presiding over, you've just discriminated against them. It's a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. You can't determine what accommodations a person needs or doesn't need if you are not certified as an ADA coordinator and trained in the ADA. Mm -hmm. They have like this little bit of training. They don't understand it all. They don't understand how it affects a person. They don't understand how the PTSD, stress, and anxiety works. So, for example, you know... The per I have people say to me, no, 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 I don't have PTSD, stress, and anxiety. I said, so when you go to the mailbox to get your mail, oh. um, do you get triggered and get sick to your stomach because you're afraid you're going to? Yeah, I do. I said, that's PTSD. You just don't know that that's what it's called. Every time the phone rings or somebody knocks at your door, do you freak out and get panicked? Mm -hmm. That's PTSD. Oh, I had to call a 
friend on the phone in order to walk me out to the mailbox to see if there was anything from the court or domestic relations. Nope, that's PTSD. Oh my gosh. The anxiety part is the nausea, you know, and the stress. If you get nauseous, you, you feel like you're going to, you know, like you, you you can't focus, you can't speak, Um, you're shaking, you're getting dehydrated, you got to drink a lot of water, Um, your eyes start to get irritated or um, you, you can't, um, you feel like you're out of your body. Mm-hmm. That's all that's part all, can also happen that but that's more on the level of shock almost. So <clears throat> this is another one. Somebody who has PTSD, stress and anxiety, if they go into shock, let's say because of an accident, their shock is they feel they their the pattern of behavior is totally different because their PTSD, stress and anxiety have exasperated it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, so wrong what's going on in these courts, mm-hmm. and um, you know, um, as far as the, it being abolished, I don't know when that will <laughs> ever happen. I don't, yep. I don't know. You know, it's just it's a money maker, boy. They're just churning it and well, burning it. <laughs> well, that's the problem. Yeah, it's all about the money. It's greed and money. These attorneys. It's all, it's all they care about. How much money can I make off of this family before mm-hmm. I, I can make them settle? Mm-hmm. No, this is about the family. If you can't have compassion and empathy and you're adversarial, get the fuck out of my family. Excuse my language. Oh, that's okay. You're allowed. <laughs> get off of the, out of the family courts because you don't belong there because you have an antisocial personality. You have an anti-family personality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I got a little story because it was like a week and a half before Christmas and I get a letter from my lawyer saying, we really like working with you, but you owe us $8,000 and we need to have this money by the end of the year, at least by the 22nd. Right. And happy new year or happy (laughs) or Merry Christmas. I'm sorry. Merry Christmas and have a happy holiday. And I thought, what the hell? You know, so I signed out another charge card and just went in the office and swiped it. I mean, that's just, that is legal abuse. It is. It's legal abuse. And they could have easily said to you, listen, if you're having a hard time playing, let's make a payment plan up. Can we make a payment plan up? Right, right. And that's, I think, you know, if I had. And ask them, are you going after the other side for legal fees? Because if you're going to go after them for legal fees, well, then let's hold off on this because then you can go after them and get the money from them. Yes. Yeah. Instead yeah. of making me pay out of pocket and causing me more trauma that I'm already dealing with. Well, see, this is why I so wish I had an ADA advocate when I was going through this, because, you know, I don't know if these ADA advocates watch things super, super close, because I know a lot of you have different clients. But in a child support de novo hearing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if, in a, if your attorney fails to file physician verification forms not on time, which was, I think, 15 days before, mm-hmm. and she didn't do it. She just didn't, you know. That's, that's malpractice. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, and that's what got me in my mess. Yeah. Yep. That happens all the time in these family court cases. They deliberately don't file something so that your case is such a mess 
that you have no choice but to proceed forward and they keep charging you more and more money because had they filed the one thing, the case would have been done. Yeah. And so they know that if they file that, then they're not going to make any more money off of you. So, you know, as an ADA advocate, would you have been there at that de novo hearing with that client? Yeah. And, and if they had asked me to be there, sure. And if if the judge said, well, you don't have your physician verification forms filled out on time, what would the ADA no, Okay. What you, the ADA advocate would say, okay, your honor, my client needs a little more time. It seems that her attorney is having a bit of a difficulty in filing paperwork in a timely manner. My client shouldn't be held to that standard. She, it, If the courts would give her the ability to um, be put on in addition to her attorney, she will get you that paperwork immediately. There will be no delays. Oh, excellent. Because, you know, a lot of people don't know this. I didn't know this. I just expected her to do her job. I thought that's, you know, she was, you know. I'm almost of the, at the point where I think I need to tell all that most clients need to know. You need to be pro se on your case in addition to your attorney. Right, right. So that you can do the subpoenas, so that you can get the paperwork, because the attorney is going to deliberately forget to do something so that it sabotages the case to, so they can make more money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's exactly what my attorney did and what the judge did, because the judge wouldn't even put me on in addition to my attorney so that I could have preserved the evidence that my attorney was refusing to subpoena because he wanted more money. And I'm like, there is no more money. You know this. And the judge has ordered that you have to stay on the case. That means you have been basically court ordered on the case. Therefore, whether I pay you or not, you need to do your job. Mm-hmm. and that is huge that's why i have ada advocates when i go into court for myself because mm-hmm. i that way i level the playing field and i can get because my attorney isn't doing his job my ada advocate can speak up for me mm-hmm. and that's what happened the last time we were in court my attorney the both times never even said much of more than two words and my ada advocate the judge had my listen to my ada advocate and my ada advocate and i did all the talking that's really you know because I, my attorney because we made it very clear that my attorney was not doing his job and here are the things that have gone on and the judge wouldn't let us oh that was the other one there was so much against my attorney in the affidavits we filed the four of them mm-hmm. that the, the judge read it in chambers but would not let us put it on the record all that went on the record is that me telling him the judge my attorney hasn't done subpoenas he hasn't done this he hasn't done that blah, blah you know he doesn't communicate the relationship is irrevocably broken that should have been enough mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's incredible. Yeah. That's why I'm so glad I had you back on because this is so important that people see this coming. I guess, you know, this podcast serves as a warning that what can happen to you or me can happen to anybody, but at least there's other avenues like an ADA advocate. Level the playing field. Yes. Yes. 
and to which I'm grateful, but wish I would have had that when I was going through. Here's the other thing an ABA advocate does, because I've had to do this also, and this is important for people to realize. It's not just that, but sometimes I have a client who's just so triggered, they're not thinking clearly. And I have to say, Your Honor, my client needs a five minute and I break. When I ask my clients to get ADA accommodations, the things I ask for are for them to be allowed an ADA advocate of their choice, Mm -hmm. that they get as many breaks as they need, that they're allowed extra time to respond, that they're allowed to have electronic equipment with them so they can look stuff up or take notes as needed, just like the attorneys, Mm -hmm. um, and anything else they might need, like extra water at the table or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I sometimes have to pull my client aside and and get a break first I can say look you're kind of barking up the wrong tree this isn't where you want to go let's stop one of the biggest things that my pro se clients make the mistake that they make is the other it's the other side's motion so they get to go first and they're rambling on batter ramming them slamming them I tell them just write the notes down now before you speak ask the judge for a five minute break go back out pull out your opening statement reread it go back in Read your opening statement first, then address the atrocities that this per- that the other side is blaming you with. Because otherwise, my pro se's never get their case on the record. All they end up doing is um, defending themselves mm-hmm, instead mm-hmm. of showing what their side of the case is. And this is really important that they do that. They get their sight. So a lot of the time I will take a client and say, all right, hang on. I don't think you're understanding your honor. I need five minutes to help my client to um, calm down. And we go out and I go to a spa in a closed room and I will sit down with the person. I will talk and I'll show them whatever I have to show them and say, this is where you want to go to your, this direction here is, is moot. This over here is moot. What we need to do is focus here where you've got your evidence and you've got something you can say and something we can work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I say, okay, we need a few minutes. You need to backtrack. You need to take a break. I need you to refocus on what is the important points that we need to get, whatever the situation. So sometimes as an AD advocate, it's just getting you those five minutes to take a breather, to think, to be able to then know, to be able to present what you want to say. You know how people say, I wish I could think faster on my feet kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know, for a good comeback. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. These are people that don't think fast enough to give a quick comeback. They need time to collect everything that's been battle rammed right. at them. Right. They can also ask for things to be reread back to them in the uh, that have been stated in the courts. They can ask for a written copy of it so they can read it and say, look, I need it read so I can read it. They can ask for free transcripts, you know. That they so they because it's sometimes when you have PTSD and you're in the midst of this traumatic situation in court, this legal abuse, you can't you you completely can't follow what's going on. You need five, time to read it so that it, you can understand what they're saying. Because I can't tell you how many times court orders have come down for my clients, and they've actually been phenomenal orders, but the client is so triggered they can't see why it's a good order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have to explain, you got this, you got this, you got this. So I'll use this one as an example. I have a client who um, her ex keeps filing shit. And so um, she, the order, what happened was the judge says to, the, to them, um, 
you know, we've got to deal with this. The mother didn't want the child to do driver's ed because the child is having hallucinations. Okay. And so that was a concern about the child being behind a steering wheel. Mm -mm. But she had no proof that the kid still had, had hallucinations because dad stopped taking the kid to the therapist. But there was previous notes of this. Then there was an issue with the pediatrician with, um, was it the pediatrician? No, with, um, hang on, there was another thing. She had the pediatrician. She had the driver's ed. Um, there was one other item. So with the judge uh, and then pediatrician, he was trying to switch the kid from her pediatrician she was at to another one because his stepchildren went to that one. Only that pediatrician wouldn't talk to my client. <sighs> so the judge made an order that said, Mom is to um, uh, mom is to agree to the to the driver's ed. Mom is to um, dad is to um, oh dad, mom, dad wanted sole custody. Dad, mom, dad is no sole custody to dad. This is the third time the judge has said no sole custody to dad. Mm -hmm. Um, mom is to sign off on the uh, driver's ed and the pediatrician. Mom, dad is to provide mom with the information. Mom is to make a phone call and to try and to go and to talk with the pediatrician. And barring any issues, mom is to agree to the pediatrician that father wants. Well, mom can't. So I looked at the client. I said, this is a test. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you right now. If the judge was going to give him sole custody, he would have done it already. Mm -hmm. This is the third time he's refused sole custody. So he gave you a win. That's a huge win. Mm -hmm. She didn't see that as a win. Mm. Then, because all she saw was that she had to sign off on the driver's ed. I said, the judge didn't have a choice because you never provided any medical evidence to support your theory that the child would not be safe to drive. Mm -hmm. And I said, the third one is to see who and what's going to happen. He wants the judge wants to see whether your ex is going to provide you with the information and make sure that the office talks to you. So and he wants to see if you're going to follow through. So mom calls the office. The office won't talk to her, tells her she's got to talk to the father. Father isn't giving her the information. Ch she they've made an appointment to see the child. Turns out this is the second time the child's been in there to see this office without the mother's permission. And the mother, he doesn't have the mother's information on the emergency contact. They have nothing Typical. for her. Right. So she's like, no. And when she finally submitted the court orders to the office, they were refusing to look at it until her attorney told them to look at it. Now the office is realizing the father's lied to them the whole time. Mom's like, I no, I'm not giving you permission to, to see my child. They saw the child despite her saying no because they wouldn't talk to her because they kept believing the father mm. so there's where the the judge is looking to see well dad didn't do his job dad filed full stuff dad's blo still blocking it and the pediatrician isn't talking to mother why would the mother allow this so it was actually a very good order <laughs> it was because it was an appropriate order and a lot of times ptsd is so bad that we oh. can't see it and that's a good example. Mm -hmm. She didn't realize that she actually won big time because the judge didn't give him sole custody for the third time. Oh. Very good point. I totally thank you for your time and coming on and explaining all of this.
You're welcome. Yeah. It's a good learning experience for everybody and for everyone to know that these there are ADA advocates that are out there. But yeah. hey, we're actually trying to build a network of them. So anybody who's out there that would like to become an ADA advocate mm -hmm. can reach out to us and I will help you. Um, and then we'll add once you've got some certifications behind you, we'll add you to our ADA advocate advocate list for your state. I mean, you don't have to do it in your, only your state. You can do it in other states because there's no there's no laws on it. But at least having that behind you is good. How can people reach you? Um. They can do one of two things. They can do info at advocate, the number four families.com, or they can do info at PAS hyphen intervention.org. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, don't jump off. Slam the gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Join us again here with Joan in the future because she's coming back and other exciting guests. And do not forget to you know, hashtag Save Bradley. Thank you so much. <laughs>